The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Page 1026 of the Bibles. Um, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to the firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God bless the reason of the word. Amen. First through fifth grade, I don't know what it was, but the choice that my parents made for my family for a dog was a beagle. Um, any of you familiar with beagles? Any of you love cute little beagles? Um, they make great dogs, but not house dogs. Um, they're hard to train, or at least we were having a difficulty training them. But then my dad decided that one beagle wasn't enough, and we ended up with two, and it had to be a male and a female, so we ended up with 15. Um, and, uh, and then that cycle continued on for several grades where we would go from having just two dogs to having three to four dogs because every time we had a litter, my brother and I would look, oh, this one is so cute, and we would end up keeping them. And before long, we went from having a small kennel to a large kennel. But one thing I learned about beagles is no matter where you pointed, they always looked at your finger. So you could be like, look, squirrel, and they would follow your finger. Like, they would never look for the squirrel. They would never look for the rabbit. They would never look at the deer running through the field behind your house because you were like, look at deer. And the beagle would stare at the end of your finger. Like, no, I want you to look over there. And the dog would just go right to my finger. And I'm like, what is going on? You're supposed to be a tracking dog. Like, you're supposed to know that there are other things out there. But no matter what the animation was, 
they were always looking at my finger. And when I was thinking and reflecting on this Christmas story, I believe that the manger is much like the finger when you're trying to talk about the Christmas story. So much of Luke, like Luke mentions the manger in this passage three times. And so what do we now do? Churches now have elaborate mangers. Churches will build some out of wood because they're like, Jesus was a craftsman. And then the church across the corner makes it out of stone because Jesus was a mason, right? And then the next church, I mean, and then we have all these things and it's like some have this elaborate straw. One of my friends in the Atlanta area was posting a picture of a camel walking into their service last night because animals were at the manger, right? And there's so much that's going on where we, if we're not careful, we're looking at the wrong thing in the story. We're looking at the the thing that is supposed to be pointing us to the thing. And so much of the Christmas story is that way. What do we really know about the birth? A lot of people will say, well, he was born in a manger, right? And then and then it's like, and then there the phrase, there's no room for him in the inn. And so the inn then becomes the image that we're looking at. And then the argument then is, is like, was it like a Motel 6 and they had no room? And so was he actually in a detached stable in the back? And so some churches build these elaborate stalls with lots of hay. And then other churches go by the interpretation that in the Jewish towns, the first floor of the home was where the inn would have been. Like it wasn't like a Holiday Inn Express and Jesus was trying to find a room or Mary and Joseph were trying to find a room. It was a language that we're trying to translate into the people would have lived on the second floor of their home. And, And so there's so much that people get to talking about that I feel like God's up there pointing to the love of of all unconditional loves and we're stuck staring at God's finger. It's like, yes, God, that is so cool. Your hand is amazing. <laughs> you know, but yet we're just, we're just stuck in that. And at Christmas, it's about Jesus. And so whether it's a detached inn where animals would have been, which if you read through the Gospels, like it's made its way into some of the carols that we sing. One of the carols actually uses um, you know, the word for a donkey that's only in the King James and, and all this other kind of stuff. And so it's made it into our songs, but there's nothing in Luke's gospel that the shepherds even showed up with their sheep. It just says that the shepherds made their way to Jesus. It doesn't mean that they brought all of them. I mean, they were most likely teenagers, shepherds were. And let's just imagine the responsibility level of a teenager. It's very likely that the sheep were left in the middle of the field, and that Mary and Joseph didn't have, uh, Joseph wasn't in the inn pushing all the animals away from the trough, right? There's a lot of things that we've brought into this, and we're so distracted by it that we lose sight of the fact, like last week, old Zachariah, when he was told that his child was going to be the forerunner of Jesus, he immediately went to a definition of Messiah. He immediately went to a definition of Savior of the world. He immediately went to the definition of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So his understanding wasn't that Mary was going to have a baby in a manger. His understanding was the Savior of the world was coming. 
And so now, on this night, the angels are declaring, shepherds are hearing it declared, and the angels are saying to them, wait a minute, let me just show you a signpost. The signpost is, is that the baby's going to be in the manger, but the manger wasn't the point. The manger was to give confirmation that the Savior of the world had come. That's who was in the manger. And so our Christmas cards and the, the beauty of the, the artistic scenery that comes as we pass out cards, it's not about the location. Every little piece was only to serve as a confirmation that the shepherds had found the right child. They had seen the Savior of the world. And to concentrate on the manger or any other parts is to forget why it was mentioned in the first place. So why was it significant? Why is it significant? It is because the shepherds were told that's where the child was. And I think it's important that we realize that I think sometimes God does the same thing for us. I'm very, in my personal story, I've seen so many moments where I felt like God was revealing certain things to me. And I spent more time focusing on the fact that that one thing was revealed rather than the fact that God of the universe had spoken to me. And I get, I get, you get so wrapped up in, it's like nowadays, like there's even commercials on television where they're making fun of the fact that small children play with the boxes that the toys were purchased in. And so the, the, there's even this commercial now where this little girl turns her box into a spaceship and then you realize it's all her imagination at the very end and she's just in the box going like this, right? You know, I mean... How do many times are we doing that in our faith where we love and are distracted by the worship team that is singing worship to the one? And so we leave thinking, wow, we, I love Olivia's voice or I love Blake's voice or I love all their voices. I love it when there's the violin. I, and we're so distracted by what our version of the manger is and what our version of the inn is that we lose sight of the one that we're actually here to worship. So much of the danger of the way that we come about church is that we create a really nice, comfortable atmosphere, and that's all we talk about to people. Well, my church is really friendly, or my church is you know, a safe place, or we have a really cool room, or the, you know, I, we, we, I like the way that we do worship, or something like that, and it's not about Jesus. It's about other things that might point to Jesus, but we're not actually spending time talking about this Jesus. And the thing that I love about what the shepherds were told redundantly about where they were going to find the Savior of the world, there's several things that Luke does, not only in this passage, but through the rest of his gospel, that help us understand what the shepherds would have thought of that, which is really important for us. These are the first people to get to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And what they could have known and what they could have been anticipating is really important for us because I think it sets an example of what we could know and what we could even still anticipate today. But there was Augustus in this passage who was the adoptive son of Julius Caesar. Any of you know Roman history? All right, he was the adoptive son. He took on all of his rivals and it climaxed with the battle in 31 BC where he took on whom? Who's the famous one that he destroyed last? No, it's a two-named one. 
Mark Anthony. Very good. There's somebody in here. And so there's this huge battle. Mark Anthony, after he lost the battle, he committed suicide. And then next thing you know, um, Augustus declares his dad to be a god. So therefore, he considers himself the what? Son of God. He's the adopted son of God. And so he is now established throughout the Roman world. Like it's now an empire that he's in charge of. He's setting up statues of himself all across his kingdom, especially in the eastern side, which is where Jerusalem would have been. And the reputation of Augustus, the things that people said about him, was that the son of God has come to bring peace on earth. Like he was saying that my kingdom is going to be about justice. My kingdom is going to be about establishing peace on earth. So there was this language in this time leading up to the birth of Jesus where the things that we're singing about, the things that we're announcing about, Augustus was claiming for himself. But the Jewish people were still holding on for the Messiah that this was truly prophesied about. The things that that they knew were going to really become true. And so even though in, uh, in the East... There was this reputation of Augustus. There was this young child that all the things that Augustus was claiming about himself was now starting to be announced over him. And so even though Jesus never stood before Augustus, he stood before Pontius Pilate, the governor in that area of Rome. And even though um, Jesus never had a chance to thoroughly overthrow the Roman Empire, within the first century, the Caesars were so overcome by the people that were looking like Jesus. That's why they called him Christians in the first place. They were little examples of Christ. The first century Roman Caesars were doing everything they could to eliminate them. They were mass slaughtering them, using them in their Olympic games and doing God-awful things to them. But by the third century, a Caesar finally professed Jesus as Lord. And within three centuries, Jesus and the Lord Jesus had then turned over the entire Roman Empire, all because people began to understand what the shepherds understood that night. There was a massive movement of awareness that you and I are now benefiting from, is that Jesus is the only Lord. Jesus is the only one that can bring peace. Jesus is the source of joy. Jesus is the one that can be the hope of this world. Jesus is the one that can bring hope and peace and joy and light to Baltimore. It was nauseating to me this morning, getting up to pray and prepare for this and turning on the news and seeing that there was yet another shooting in our city last night and even early this morning. And more and more people are grieving this morning because of the fact that people have not learned to love unconditionally. We have a city where we are no longer, where we've not ever been fully walking in the fact that God has set an example in the world of what love looks like, how we should treat our neighbors, how we should treat our enemies even. There are people in this city that are, count other people in this city an enemy, well, it doesn't mean that I can't consider them an enemy, but that doesn't give me a chance to treat them like the world tells me we treat an enemy. I still have to follow the example of Jesus Christ. I must follow my Lord if he's truly my Lord. And so when you begin to look at this Christmas story, I believe for us as a church that we can't get distracted by all of the pomp and circumstance. And if I can admit this, in the American culture, we've even added more distractions. 
We're not just distracted by mangers anymore. We're not just distracted by what type of inn. We're not just distracted by angels proclaiming or Mary being pregnant and trying to find a place in the middle of the night. We're not just distracted by the story any longer. We've now added all of the other distractions, the types of gifts we give, the holiday traditions and all this. And if we're not careful, you and I will go through this entire holiday season and lose sight of whom our eyes should be fixed on. And that's why I love looking at a Mary's song, looking at Zechariah's song, looking at this particular passage that the angels are proclaiming to the shepherds. And then what we're going to look at Christmas Eve is the song that Simeon um, spontaneously bursts into, um, is that we are tapping into people this Christmas that, are, that, that, to, that truly understood what Jesus' purpose was. Not just what his purpose was, but what that purpose was fulfilled because of who he was. And so today I just want to ask us as we close this time out, is who do you believe Jesus really is? Because what you believe about Jesus is going to have a huge impact on your life. If he's truly the Savior, then that's going to totally change the way that you view eternity. If you view Jesus as Lord, it's going to truly determine who has the right to tell you what to do. If nobody has a right to tell you what to do, then most likely Jesus isn't your Lord. Because we would never choose on our own to love our enemies. Our Lord has to tell us to do that. Because he's faced down enemies. He's looked them in the face. He's been falsely accused. He's been the one that has given his life up unconditionally for others. And then he looks at his disciples and says, well, you know what, I'm going to leave you the same spirit so that you can have the strength to do the same thing. And that's what we get a chance to celebrate this Christmas is the fact that we've been unconditionally loved so that we can unconditionally love. There is no greater gift that you and I can receive than unconditional love. And there's no greater gift you and I can give to anybody around us than unconditional love. And if I can say this, Christmas, we are tempted and we are tested on our capacity to unconditionally love. Think about the family, friends that you're going to be spending time with, coworkers, the bonus you did or didn't receive, the things that you thought are anticipations of the end of the year. We will be tested to see what comes out of us. And the example that Christ gave is the example that I would love for people to have as a reputation of us. No greater love has anyone displayed than Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we end this gathering, as we are preparing for Christmas, um, we don't want to be distracted. Father, even just thinking about the dog analogy um, it caused me to think about the psalm that talks about how dogs return to their vomit. Father, we are so often continually going back to things that aren't good for us. We are continually um, looking at the wrong thing, and we want eyes like the shepherds. We want to follow the signs, not focus on the signs. We want to see Jesus. Father, we want to see the Savior. And so, Father, right now as we prepare for the Lord's table, we want to be reminded of what Christ did for us and his body being broken and his blood being poured out. Father, we come to this table to remember. 
We come to this table to announce. We come to this table, Father, to find fellowship with you and fellowship with one another that is like none other in this world. You've come to establish a new kingdom in a new way, and we want to be fully in. And we want to invite others in. There's room at the table, and we want to make sure that every seat is filled. And so, Father, as the shepherds listened and obeyed, Lord, we want to listen and obey. And Father, for those that are walking through darkness, Father, we join them in that darkness and we pray for your light. So Lord, would you, um, through the power of your spirit, um, not only help us to receive your gift, but to be good gift givers as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we're